Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. In a couple of minutes we're going to go to Mark chapter 11, Mark 11, we're going to read from verse 12, Mark 11 verse 12 if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, there, there'll be a Bible um, some verses on the screen that we can follow along with. If we haven't met before, my name's Ryan. So glad that you've made it to church. Um, if we haven't met before online, my name's Ryan. So glad that you've tuned into church today. Uh, Mark 11, verse 12. <clears throat> you doing well? Yeah. Come on. Good. Oh, that's the worst, isn't it? That's a preacher's nightmare when stuff falls out of your Bible. I think it, I think it is the verification that you do read your Bible, though, isn't it? No? Okay. (laughs) Mark 11. We're going to read from verse 12. Uh, The Bible says, uh, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, Jesus is speaking to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves and wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this. They began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city and in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God. Jesus answered. I wonder um, on this 11.30 service, just turned lunchtime, on this Sunday, I wonder if, uh, if when you get hungry, you get angry. Anybody, anybody there? I think the, the dictionary calls that hangry, right? Anybody, anybody hangry? Okay, you're going to play that game with me where you look blankly. Is there anybody uh, that you're with in church today who gets a little bit hangry? Anybody want to tell the truth and shame the devil? Yep, okay, okay. I see where, see some of us are willing to be Christians and others are going to keep secrets. I appreciate the loyalty. Uh, hangry is uh, where you get uh, bad-tempered or irritable uh, because of hunger. I, I wonder if, you, if you've been there. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're, maybe you're a nice person and you, when you're hungry, you just politely wait on food or go and get something sorted or whatever. You're grand. You're more like Jesus than the rest of us, or perhaps not. It looks like in these verses that we've read today, the Bible explicitly states that Jesus is hungry and he's angry at a tree. And so the title of uh, this morning's message is Holy and Hangry. Everybody say, Holy and Hangry. Come on, Holy and Hangry. Jesus is holy. And it seems to be, at least on the very surface level, that he seems to be hangry. He seems to be hungry and angry. You know, the title of this message, Holy and, holy and Hangry, is like a loose title that maybe if you're taking notes, it helps you remember it. But the, the reality of it is, is that we have on the outside looking into these verses, we have some significant questions that are arising as we read through these verses. 
I don't know if maybe you glossed over them and you, or you glazed over them as you've seen them on the screen or you read through them in your Bible or maybe you heard them. But there seems to be some stuff that's not quite right. There seems to be some stuff going on here that doesn't seem to be, um, as my 99-year-old granny would put it, the full shilling. It doesn't seem to be all the way there. It seems to be that we need to understand some things that are really going on here. We have some questions. What is it that Jesus is looking for that he doesn't find? Why does Jesus respond the way he responds? And so I guess the question that I'm posing to us this morning together as we gather for church is, what is it that God's looking for? What is it that God's looking for in you? And what is it that God's looking for in me? I'll show you the first thing that God is looking for. We see in Mark 11, 12 to 14. The next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and a leaf, he went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Of course, he's not gonna find fruit if it's not the season. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Can we just agree that this seems like a little bit of an overreaction? It's like the equivalent of going to the cupboard and saying, I curse you cupboard because there's no food in you. May no one ever eat from this cupboard again. Or, or perhaps like going to Asda, I curse you Asda because you have no belly bar hand. May no one ever come here to shop again, right? It seems, let's just agree as Jesus followers this morning, it seems like a little bit of an overreaction from Jesus. It's kind of like, Jesus, are you a little bit touchy when you're hungry? Because that's what it really looks like on the surface level. It's safe to say that Jesus is angry. Did you know that God has emotions? God has emotions. The Bible says in Psalm 37 verse 13, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. He sees that his day is coming. The Lord laughs. God has emotions, which means that it's okay for you to have emotions. As a matter of fact, those emotions often come from God. The Bible says in Genesis 6, verse 6, the Lord regretted that he'd made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. God, God grieves. God has experienced grief too. God grieves. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God also grieves. That should give you some relief today. Matthew 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, speaking of Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God is moved to compassion. God has emotions. Our problem and our tension that we hold is that our emotions are flawed by sin. His aren't. See, your emotions are normal, happy, sad, angry, buzzing, elated, exasperated, frustrated, fuming, love and life, everything in between. Your emotions are normal. In fact, they, the source of those emotions come from God himself, but I've heard it put like this. Emotions are good indicators, but terrible captains. Emotions can't lead your life. They help you understand what's going on, help you navigate a little bit, but they're terrible captains. If we're led by our emotions, that often we're gonna be like an emotional roller coaster, which God isn't. See, God, he operates in truth. He operates in a matter of fact, because he is truth. God isn't an emotional roller coaster, but he is emotional. So it does appear that Jesus is angry, so much so that in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only account where we see that Jesus does a supernatural work 
that is destructive. Jesus is known for blessing, not cursing. But in all four gospel accounts, this is the, this is the time that we see Jesus cursing. We see him doing a supernatural work that is destructive. And so in light of that, that should cause us to lean in a little bit. Because if he's known for blessing and he does something that is quite the contrary, then we should be intrigued to as of why Jesus is angry and so curses the fig tree. In Mark 11, 12 to 14, we read that the next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. It wasn't the season for figs. It wasn't even the right season. Yet Jesus was angry. Why? Jesus was furious. Why? Jesus was seemingly hangry. Why? It, it wasn't even the right season for it. See, scholars would state that fruit grows on fig trees first and then leaves. Fruit first, leaves second. The Bible says that Jesus seen the leaves assuming there was fruit. This fig tree was operating contrary to its purpose. It was contradicting its very nature. See, fruit comes first and then leaves. See, leaves are all about appearance, whilst fruit's about health. Leaves are about what it looks like on the outside, whilst fruit's about what's going on on the inside. And too often, you and I can be, fall into the trap of being too concerned about the look of our lives rather than the fruit of our lives. First thing, if you're taking notes, or is you want to stick in your mind. What is it that God's looking for? God's looking for fruit. What is it that God's looking for from you today? God is looking for fruit. Fruit from your life. There's four types of fruit outlined in scripture, which we'll lean in on one. A, the fruit of repentance. B, fruit of the spirit. C, fruit of bringing someone to Jesus. And D, fruit of serving your ministry. I choked out there, serving. Got emotional about it. It's a plug to get servants. Serving, serving others. Four types of fruit outlined in scripture. The fruit of the spirit, the Bible mentions and speaks of and unpacks in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, fruit in your life comes through growing in your relationship with God, comes through knowing God, comes through spending time with God. In fact, Jesus teaches that you and I are to be identified by our fruit. Do you ever get it? Um, I do anyway, hopefully some of you do. Uh, if, you're, if you, you know, have to stumble by the shop on the way home after church. Do you ever get it how us Christians identify ourselves in different ways than our fruit? You, you know what I mean. If you have to go into the spa on the way home for two liters of milk, let's just say you know who's been at church, right? Who else is, especially the 10 a.m. service, never mind the 11.30, but who else is in, in the spa at quarter past 11 with a shirt on, uh, like the shirt tucked in, that's church clothes right there, right? Like we, you and I both know when we walk into one of those shops after church, who's been at church and who hasn't been at church, you're like, yep, rolled out of bed. Yep, they're Presbyterian. Yep, they're Pentecostal. Pentecostal is usually their hers everywhere because they've been jumping in worship. Yep, they're a Baptist. Yep, right, we identify, or maybe you don't identify by the outfit, uh, but you identify by speech because us Christians, we tend to use like, the, 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 we tend to talk a whole different language that doesn't seem to be tongues, right? Like we talk in um, what would be described as some people call it Christianese. Like we use, we use Christian words and Christian phrases that other people are like, 
what, what are you talking about? Have you asked, brethren, brethren, for thy forgiveness of thy sin? You're like, what are you? We, we identify one another in a strange way, different ways, whether consciously or subconsciously. But Jesus speaks of in Matthew 7 that we are not to be identified by our external, by our outer appearance. We're not to be identified by what we were or the amount of money that we have or our socioeconomic status or where we live or the color of our skin or our background or the state of our families, but we're to be identified by our fruit. Our uniqueness isn't something on the outside, but it is who we are. It is the fruit that we produce in our lives. Matthew 7, 15 to 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down, thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. What is God looking for? God is looking for fruit, which is incredibly encouraging and incredibly discouraging all at the same time. Why? Because we all have good days and we all have bad days, right? We all have great moments that we're so proud of and awful moments that we're so ashamed of. We all have moments that we're like, look at me, Jesus. Surely I'm number one now. And we all have moments where we're, we feel like we can't even approach God. I'm not, I don't even know if I'm in this anymore. But see, the difference is moments are moments. It's when moments become patterns and patterns are problems. See, moments, moments find you, moments where you struggle, moments where you're in difficulty, moments find you in the very center of the grace of God. It's where patterns become problems that that leads to a destructive trajectory on your life. See, what is God looking for? God's looking for fruit. We're identified by our actions. That should cause us today to long to grow in God to long to know Jesus, to long to bring others to Jesus, to long to serve Jesus, to long to have the fruit of the Spirit, to, to reflect the person of Jesus. What's God looking from you today? Fruit. See, this tree is supposed to be producing fruit, but it's only displaying leaves. It's contradictory to its purpose. The second thing that we see that God's looking for, we, we find in Mark eleven fifteen to 18, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the, temp the temple courts, began driving out those who were buying and selling there, overturning the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. What is God looking for today? God's looking for heart. See, Jesus, he stepped into an environment that was marked by hypocrisy when he was looking for heart. How was it marked by hypocrisy? Jesus enters the temple courts, moreover, the Jewish temple. And scholars have highlighted that these courts where people were buying and selling were the court of the Gentiles. They, and those who were buying and selling were hypocrites. They were religious people. They were, they were making a profit off of people's sacrifices, off of people trying to get forgiveness from God. See, this week, we understand New Testament theology is, is, is Holy Week. But it's also the week of Passover, where people are coming from all places and spaces 
in order to come to the temple and sacrifice as part of the sacrificial system. They would come, they would buy a lamb, uh, some form of maybe perhaps a dove in order to sacrifice, in order to receive forgiveness from God. They would make all of these pilgrimage journeys in order to experience forgiveness from God. And so Jesus enters into this environment and sees that people are making a profit. People are gaining off of the, off of the desire for forgiveness. Don't, mis, don't be misunderstood any longer. Jesus is no longer hangry, but Jesus is angry. It's very clear that Jesus is furious. He begins to overturn the tables. He begins to drive them out. See, these people in the temple courts were hypocrites. The Bible, Jesus in Matthew 23, speaking of hypocrites, says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Easy for me to say. God is looking for heart. God's looking for fruit from your life, but God is looking for your heart, not your appearance, not what it looks like to other people. God is looking for your heart. Message version of these verses say, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds, like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. God is not looking for what it looks like on the outside. God's looking for your heart. Regardless of where you've been, where you've come from, how you're dressed, how much money you have, all of those secondary issues, things that don't even matter, God is looking for your heart, whether you're here, front row, shoes shined and polished, or whether you're just about engaging on the sofa at home, peeking in, feeling ashamed to be part of an environment like this. What's God looking for? The same, your heart, your heart, your heart. Well, I'm not sure. God's looking for your heart. I'm not sure I could. God's looking for your heart. You, you want to know the week I've had? God's looking for your heart. You know, that's much more encouraging than your faces are letting on because God's looking for your heart. All of the other stuff doesn't matter so much. God's just, God just desires your heart. Jesus entered the temple and he was angry. He was angry at hypocrisy. He was angry at a corrupt system. He was angry at playing religion when in actual fact, God desires the heart. See, the Bible says in Leviticus 5 verses 7, anyone who can't afford a lamb is to bring two doves Remember Jesus overturned the table of those who were selling doves? Why? Because anyone who can't afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin. One for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. See, these people were making a profit off people's poverty when in actual fact, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Jesus actually desires forgiveness. He desires heart. He was furious. 
later on, this caused Jesus to be angry. Why? Because behold the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He was about to take this on himself. No longer would you need to pay extortionate amounts for a dove. No longer would you pay what you couldn't afford in order to receive forgiveness. No longer would you be excluded because you couldn't, you couldn't keep up with it or it was too costly. But actually he himself would become the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Why? Because blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is why Jesus was angry because he stepped into an environment marked by hypocrisy, marked by corruption, and he was about to flip it all on its head. Soon in the form of Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world, no longer would they have to be extorted to receive forgiveness. The Bible says 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Come on, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you've been. As a result of what Jesus has done, you could be made right with God through Christ. You want the reality of it today? Being at church, whoop-de-doo, it comes as a byproduct of a heart after God. You know, being at church without a heart after God, I don't even know if Jesus is pleased about that as you are, but actually being at church with a heart after God, it's just a byproduct. Reading your Bible is a byproduct of a heart for God. Godly living is a byproduct of a heart for God. Loving those in your neighborhood is a byproduct of a heart for God. Living generously is a byproduct of a heart for God. All of those things out in and of themselves on their own will not give you forgiveness, but a heart for God, all of those things follow. All of those things are dragged after. All of those things come after a heart for God. What is God looking for today? God is looking for your heart. I had a friend yesterday who came to help me with some electrician, uh, electricals in my house. When I needed some things fixed, he knew what he was doing. I did not. I, I couldn't fix it on my own. I didn't have the capability. I opened the door. My friend came in. He came to help and the last thing that I could have did was hide this stuff, right? Um, uh, I need your help with my electrics, but um, when you come in, I'm gonna, be, uh, I'm gonna hide them so that you don't know what you can fix. So I'm gonna make it hard for you. Why? Because I don't want you to see how bad my electrics are in my house. I don't want you to see like if they're bad or if they look silly or if they, why? Because that would come out of a pride. It would come out of an insecurity. It would come out of a weird place. We would all agree that if you ask for help, from somebody who has the capability and the ability to fix the problem that you're facing, why would you invite them in and then hide, hide the problem from them? We would all agree, unless, wow, unless, we would all agree that that would be not such a bright idea. If you're gonna invite them in, then you may as well let them fix the problem, right? We would all agree that. Can you nod for me? Yes, we would all agree that. But yet so many of us, we invite Jesus in and then we stand like this. Just keep your distance, God. Just don't, don't, don't look at this part of my life. We hide it from him but yet he has the capability, he has the ability, he has the capacity to fix it, but yet out of our insecurity, out of our pride, out of our shame, we hide it from him, like some sort of strange religious game, when in actual fact, we don't need to be ashamed, we don't need to be insecure about it, we don't need to be proud, but we can say, you know what God, you have my heart, there it all is, I'm gonna let you in, I'm not gonna keep these things in my life socially distant from you, but I'm gonna let you in and invade every area of my life, because I know that's where you're able to fix, and I know as a result of that, that I will walk in your purposes and in your plans for my life. What is God looking for? today. God is looking for your heart.
Come on, God is looking for your heart. Are you willing to give him it? God is looking for your heart. These verses that we read, Mark uses uh, what the Bible would, what, what scholars would understand as a sandwich effect where he uses two things to create one lesson. See, Jesus, he curses the tree and then he cleanses the temple. He curses the tree, cleanses the temple. It was a foreshadow of what was to come. In Galatians 3, 13, you can read it along on the screen. Christ has rescued us from the curse interesting choice of words, pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. Remember Jesus, he curses the tree. It's a foreshadow of what is to come. And then he accepted a cursed tree. Why did he accept a cursed tree? In order to cleanse the New Testament temple, you and me. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. See, Jesus has made you and I right because he accepted a cursed tree in order to cleanse you and me. What does he, what does he require in order to cleanse our lives, our hearts? The Bible says in Romans 10, verse nine, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved, come on. Jesus, he, he cursed the tree in order to cleanse the temple. A foreshadow of him accepting a cursed tree in order to cleanse you and me. You know, you know what? That is good news today. That is really good news today. As a result of him doing that, you and I, we don't have to be hungry, but we're called to be holy. We can walk in his purposes for our life with the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I give my heart to God? How do I walk in this? Romans 12, one and two in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. See, God's gonna help you do it. You're not out on your own. God's gonna help you do it. Take your everyday, ordinary life, sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What's God looking for today? God's looking for fruit, and God's looking for your heart. You see the final thing, and maybe you guys wanna help us respond and worship, and if you don't want to, it'd be really helpful that you would just do it anyway, because I'm not singing this morning, this afternoon. Unless, unless like, we want to take a vote on it, and I'll give it my best shot, but I don't, think, I don't think I would win that vote either. Yeah, no. Final thing that we see that God's looking for is that God is looking for faith. God's looking for fruit. God's looking for your heart, and God's looking for faith. The Bible says in Mark, 9, Mark 11, 19, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city in the morning as they went along. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look. The fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I love hanging around with, with young people. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun, but I also have nephews. Uh, one of my nephews is four. Uh, another couple are eight. Another one who's a little bit older, who's entered into the second stage of this story. And I love uh, hanging out with them. And sometimes when we go to, we'll drive to Hollywood and we'll go get ice cream and stuff like that. And we'll walk and we'll go to the beach. And you know, like they'll see something just like a shop in Hollywood and they'll be like, whoa, look at that. I'm like, yeah, that's a shop, buddy. It's brilliant, isn't it? They see everything with like this childlike faith. It's like, that is massive. 
I'm like, yep, that's, yep, that's the charity shop here, buddy. Yep, brilliant. And then uh, as people, as, as they, not as the, the kids grow older, but as, as people grow older, they change a little bit. And uh, over years of leading youth ministry, uh, so often we brought kind of 16, 17 year olds that age to different places. And the one that I have ne- can never get over is like when, when there's a couple of 16 year olds and you're in Dublin and they've maybe never been to Dublin before. And uh, it is like, and they realize just like I think that it's the best city on the whole island uh, or the biggest at least, it's a little bit. And they're like, oh my days, this is only two hours from my house. I'm gonna come here every week. And you're like, no, you're not. You'll probably be 30 by the time you come again. But they, they walk around and they don't, they don't shout in the same way that the four-year-old and the eight-year-old does. They, they're not like, whoa! But um, it, it's a little bit more casual. And they're, they, so they do this instead. And they're like, here out there, hold on there, that's really cool. It's a little bit less childlike, but it still gives it away, just that energy towards, wow, that childlike faith. Childlike faith is interesting that we're called to have. What is God looking for today? He's, he's looking for faith. See, see Peter in these verses, that they're coming back and Peter's like, Rabbi, Rabbi, Jesus, look. The tree is withered from its root. He's like, mm-hmm. Just have faith in God. Peter's, Peter's mesmerized that Jesus' words had authority and had weight and came to pass. He's, he's amazed that, oh my goodness, what you said actually happened. Jesus is like, yep, yeah, 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 have faith in God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse six that it's impossible without faith to please God. It doesn't matter the size of your faith, the, the verses actually go on to talk about faith, the size of a mustard seed. It doesn't matter the size of your faith, but it's who you place your faith into. Faith is the confidence in things hoped for, the assurance about what we do not see. What's God looking for today? God's looking for faith. See, Jesus was teaching this one key lesson to these disciples who'd seen both. Anything not rooted in me will wither away. And I don't know what it is maybe that God's spoken to you, but if God said it, God will do it. Peter said, look, Rabbi, look what you said really did happen. Yeah, have faith in God. Look what you said really did happen. See, no word from God will ever fail. I don't know what it is that God's spoken to you. It feels like it's failing. It's not. If God said it, he'll do it. Look what you said really did happen. No word from God will ever return void, but it'll accomplish all that God desires for it to do. I don't know what it is that God has said to you, but if you're beginning to doubt it, if you're beginning to question it, or perhaps you're even more beyond that, if God said it, He'll do it. Look, what you said really did happen. I encourage you, you hear from God today. Hearing from God today is a glimpse of the future breakthroughs you'll walk into. What's God looking for? God's looking for faith, miracles, signs, wonders, salvation, provision. You and I today can begin to step into those spaces and believe that God, because He said it, will do the impossible in your life, in those around you, situations that you're aware of. God will do the impossible. 
I don't know. I don't. This is really taking the. This is really taking the faith out of me. Well, okay. Didn't really depend on you anyway. It's about him. So as long as there's a little bit of mustard seed faith there, God's still God. God can still do it. But we can stand together. What's God looking for today? God's looking for fruit. God's looking for your heart. God's looking for faith. In the same way that we started talking around this message, kind of about being hungry, maybe the easiest way that I can think of landing, helping us respond to God is it's also talking about food for a minute. And maybe uh, you are accustomed to a takeaway. Maybe not. Everybody keeps their head down. They're like, I'm not gonna make eye contact in this moment. That's all right. No judgment here. Maybe you, you pick up your phone and they know you by name because you are uh, what, what would be called as a premium customer. <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, what about you? Same as usual. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Or maybe you, you go on delivery app or just eat and you order that way. It's interesting because the moment that you put the phone down, remember, by the way, remember in lockdown when it was like, you had to wait like eight days to get your takeaway? You're like, yep, I'll be there on Thursday. And you were like, no. They say the word and then you have to wait. And it depends on the type of person you are. We joked around this earlier. It depends on the type of person you are. I'm the kind of person who's like, I hear a door knock there, yeah. I'll go to the door and open it and all. People be like, what is that guy doing? Like, no, no, it's no one there. It's no one there, no one's there, no one's there. Could you maybe give them a ring and see where they are? There's some of us that are that. Um, just wondering, just wondering, <clears throat> it's been three minutes, where's my, where's my food? Maybe, maybe you're the person who goes on the delivery chat and you're like, where is my food? I'm going to leave a negative review. You're like, actually, behave yourself, come on. But we all, we all wait differently, don't we? But when the deliverer comes, it's worth it. And it? The wait, the wait was worth it. Ooh, unless it's really not. But usually it's like, ooh, get that food down there. Let's, let's get it going. If you're that type of family, the plates are heated. And if you're a, if you're a, heated plate type of family, you're wondering, is there any such thing as a cold plate type of family? And if I've just rocked your world by telling you to heat your plates, thank me later. What are you saying? I'm saying that when the deliverer comes, regardless of the weight, regardless of the length of time, that it's worth it. But in between them saying the word and the door knocking, it's a little bit like limbo land. especially when you're desperate. And perhaps today you are in that space. Let me reassure you, your deliverer is coming. His name is Jesus. He is your coming king. He is your healer. He is your baptizer. He is your savior. He will touch you in your in the deepest place of your soul so that you will never be the same again. He will heal you in your body. He will heal you in your mind. He will bring breakthrough in your family. Provision will come. Well, well, how can you say that? Because I know him. He is your deliverer. How do you, because of this book, because of, if he said he'll do it, he will do it. So Holy Spirit, 
help us center our minds on Jesus right now. And Jesus in this room, where we're longing for you, where some are longing for a breakthrough in their body, we ask that you would heal in the name of Jesus. People have their own family situations going on. Lord, we ask that you would be the Prince of Peace and that you would supernaturally, Lord God, bring peace into every family situation where there's strife and there's anger in the name of Jesus. Where there's issues of provision, Jesus, we ask that you would bring provision in the most beautiful way in the name of Jesus. For those, Lord Jesus, who are engaging online and feel far from you, feel distant from you, Lord, as they, in their act of faith, have chosen to hang on this long, we ask that you would draw near to them, speak to them, deliver them, heal them, bring breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Lord, in every circumstance, we ask that you would work. In Jesus' name. Hi everyone, thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.